Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am. I've gotten through quite a bit of craziness in the past few weeks, having opened my store and now getting ready for our Skirt Sports 13er and a big grand opening on June 16th. So anybody in Boulder, mark your calendar or in Colorado or within driving distance. Get your butt out here. Um, I am very excited about our next guest. And if you do hear any craziness in the background, that is my daughter. She's see that? She's singing to herself. Gotta love it. So my next guest is a woman named Jen Hanslick. She owns a business called Clutter Trucker. They are a hoarding, removal, and cleanup series. Jen, I actually met in January of this year at a kickoff dinner for an intensive six-month speaker MBA class that we were both taking. Um, We're actually graduating from that class next week and uh, both doing a talk. We're featured speakers at this very cool Evoso Live event in Boulder. If you want some inspiration, there are nine amazing speakers and you get tickets for the June 9th event on evoso.com backslash live. It's all in my show notes on the website. So... The first uh, first word that came to mind when I met Jen was genuine. She is one of the most genuine people you'll ever meet, and her speaking style really shows that. She's non-judgmental. She's humble, and yet she's very, very strong, full to the brim with vision for a better world. Um, she has transitioned a bit in her business from building it and running it, and she'll talk about how she did that to letting it run itself, which is a really important thing in the business world as founders. Um, it's something that's tough for m- many of us to do. So I think she's one of the toughest people in the world who does some of the toughest work in the world. And only very, very special people are called to do that. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. It's a little different than other episodes. She's not a sports figure or a fitness guru, but she definitely is a visionary in this world. So I hope you enjoy it. This one does come in roughly around the 5K length. All right, all right. Have a great run and let's bring her on. All right. Welcome to episode 12 of Run This World with Jen Hanslick, one of my new greatest friends. And I know that many of you out there can relate to this idea of a new great friend. You just meet someone and you know that you're going to connect with them. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Nicole. I'm happy to be here. Well, what's really cool is that 
Um, we're going to get into how I met Jen, which again was fairly recently. But what's really cool is that we are standing in the closed door office of Skirt Sports' new retail store doing our podcast. First time ever in our store. Yep. I'm so honored to be here it's, and do the first podcast. I mean, I love it because first of all, you walked in and you haven't, well, you saw this place when it was under construction, right? right. I did. And it probably looked like a... Yeah, crap shoot. Empty, yes. <laughs> not too not too inviting. And now we've got all kinds of pretty things and you came in, I immediately started dressing you. Yeah. This fits right up my alley. <laughs> I know. Was it like intimidating? I basically like was manhandling you, throwing product at you, talking about your butt. No, considering this is probably my attire most days. I love this place. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love is that you said you made a comment like, Whoa, you get to dress this way every day. But I kind to have a feeling that in your line of work, you have some flexibility too. I do. So I started my business several years ago, but now I'm to the point where I can, I'm, I'm a little bit more flexible in my meetings and my day to day. So it usually involves going to the gym and then most days I don't change. <laughs> I love it. All we need, well, all you need is skirt sports, obviously, because yes. it can take you through your day, but maybe some good deodorant. Yeah, we're this both, is true. Yeah, we both worked out and we're here in the same clothes we worked out in. So before we get into your awesome journey that's so inspirational, I want to actually touch on something we have coming up next week. Yep. Let's do it. I met Jen almost six months ago with a powerful group of primarily women, actually. There's two men in our group. Uh, a program that we all took a huge leap of faith, jumped in and, and decided to do to improve our basically our speaking skills and to refine the message that we want to get out there into the world. Yeah. Would you say that that's, I would say that is the case. And it, the program we are calling the speaker MBA. Granted, we are not actually getting an MBA from a university, but I actually feel like in six months we got quite an education. Yeah. Yeah. So our, um, our mentor and our spiritual journey leader is a woman named Erin Weed, mm-hmm. who we, just all respect. And she is, I would call her the speaker whisperer. Yeah, I would too. She has like trained and trained people and pulled out the most insanely powerful Ted talks you could ever imagine. And if you are listening and have any desire to make a big change in your life and and get out there and spread the message of something that's important to you, I highly suggest that you look up Erin Weed. Her business is called Evoso. Mm -hmm. And next week on Thursday, June 9th, is it? It is. Yeah, we should know because it's it's a big day. (laughs) Um, We, Jen and I, are two of the featured speakers at the first ever Evoso Live event at E-Town in Boulder. Yeah. Have you ever spoken at E-Town? No. So... I'm so excited, but I have not been there yet. Yeah, and we will be checking out the stage and all that good stuff. But we are filling the house. Um, there's still maybe 50 tickets left. So if you're listening and you want a ticket, um, yeah. get on it. It's yeah. evoso.com backslash live. I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can check it out. It's only 25 bucks. Yeah. And the people in our group are insane visionaries. Like I sat down the first day that we all met and just... There was a small level of intimidation because because everyone has such an insane message that they have to share that it almost makes you wonder if yours is important enough. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree? I would. I feel like that's how we were in the beginning, 
But then I think we inspired each other to get beyond that self-doubt and questioning. And then just the power of a group is phenomenal. So I am so excited about this night. Yeah, there's actually some good uh, takeaways there, too, just in the power of a group to move yourself forward in your life. It's accountability. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, let's um, we'll we'll put all that info into the show notes. And if you want to see Jen Hanslick and me do a 10 minute incredible focused captivating talk at e-town on june 9th make sure you get on get on board quickly oh yeah come ready to be inspired and maybe bring some kleenex yes oh my god and you might laugh so hard you pee your pants both all of the above (laughs) that's what aaron's doing so you're probably all listening going okay great so what's your message yeah We'll talk about mine later. You probably can all guess it, but we're here today to talk about Jen's message. And I think it really, what I think would be really interesting is for you to learn more about her background. And basically, Jen, I'd love you to tell us your story from your perspective, how you got to where you are and explain what your business is today. Perfect. I can do that. Um, so I'll start my story at uh, the age of 19. So when I was 19, I was just graduating high school. Um, I was always in sports, a uh, great student. I went off as in my freshman year and I was pregnant. So I got pregnant at 19. I had twins. That was life changing. So I still uh, graduated college in five years instead of four. So it was a really big moment to be a single parent and uh, start to raise two children. And then I had one more. So all in all, I have three children, a single parent, worked my way up in corporate America, uh, raising children, taking care of myself, never looking back, but being caught up in corporate America. So I would, I, I was licensed. I sold, uh, I, I was a financial analyst. And then one day in 2008, I was laid off. So all my kids were a little bit older. This was probably the turning point in my life because I knew that I didn't want to go back to corporate America. So with that, in the middle of that layoff, my mom called and she said that uh, we needed to help my grandfather clean out his house. He was going to the hospital and he, um, he needed help. So we found out that he was a hoarder at that time. Before all the TV shows, nobody knew anything about it. My mom and I stepped into this, and it took a lot of time, of energy, and emotion, and we helped him. And in the middle of that, I came and I told my mom, I'm going to buy a dump truck with my severance, start a business. (laughs) Yeah, she looked at me like I was crazy. Okay, you get a severance, and your first thought is, I'm going to buy a dump truck. It took some time. This was when the TV shows, you know, the TV shows were on, and the banks were failing, and the government was still bailing them out, and I knew I could not go back to that environment. So I didn't know what I was going to do. True. I didn't know. You know, it's funny. You watch those Oprah shows, like, find your passion. So I was searching. I knew I didn't want to go back to that, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea. I just knew that there was, you know, they always say if there's a problem, you can try to solve it. There's a business. So the problem was like the, that. the people suffering with hoarding. And then I had the solution. They needed help. I did a little bit of research online. No one was doing it. My family thinks I'm crazy. Here I am. I still have three kids to raise, but I'm going to use my severance. And this is what I said. What's the worst thing that can happen? 
the very worst thing that could happen is the business will fail and I will sell the dump truck and I'll go back to corporate America. So you kind of have to play those little mind games. Mm -hmm. If you think, if I thought about where I'm at today back then, I would have never done it. I just, because you don't know. And if you think about the future, it can be intimidating. Okay, so this is a lot. This is not just a two-year period of life. This took some time to get to this point, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go back to when you were 19. Yeah. Okay, so people hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, how did she do it? Because I only have one kid and I have have a four-year-old and I had her at 40 and I'm exhausted. I can only imagine, first of all, you get pregnant. (laughs) Was that, I don't know if that was planned. No, no, not planned. (laughs) Um, Well, so unplanned. Then you have to deal with like, how do you tell people and are the people in your life going to support you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think if I look back, it was sheer determination. It was just determination that I knew that these babies did not ask to be put in this situation. And I was going to give them all of me because, you know, back in, at that age, I was so young, I was probably consumed with guilt and I just didn't want them to, to have, to lack anything. So mm-hmm. I gave all of me and, and really it goes by so fast. And so when you were that young mom, like, you know, going through school still, yeah. what were some different lessons or things that you might want to share that happened that could help people who might be going through some tough times where they don't see that there could be an out. Yeah. I think get support. I think my friends and family were extremely valuable. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Even if you're married, you really can't do it alone if you're single. So I think getting support was huge. You need downtime, You, but you need to, you need to do that for yourself. But I also think you need to focus on uh, that very short period of time live in the moment. It's true. Just don't think ahead. And, and I, I would say live day to day. I'm sure that's what I did, but looking back, I, I don't remember a lot. Well, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, think, I don't know how you could. Yeah. Cause brains can't. change after mm-hmm. you have a baby. Yeah. I did an interview, uh, one of my first ones with the founder of Bamboobies. Yeah. Another local entrepreneur, awesome yep. woman. You need to meet her. Yep. Um, her name's Carrie Gilmar- Gilmartin, and and she said that there literally is a chemical change in your brain, and like that that need for women who are doing that nesting thing when you're pregnant, and yeah. how you want to organize, and I, this is literally a chemical change where your right and wow. left brain are engaged at different times from due to hormone yeah. changes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I can only imagine. No, a lot of it is survival, survival, and then I had, I still, you know, my kids were always in sports. I think community mm. is huge. I think it helped them to stay out of trouble. They were always good kids, never getting into trouble. But I think that helps. It just helps. Parenting is hard. It's one of those lifelong. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, you know, you're, what is important to you often is passed on to your kids. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you mentioned in our, when we opened up here that you go to the gym most days and that's important to you. But really at 19, could you include that in your life? Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. I remember to this day, my neighbors would watch the kids and I would come home and just run. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. I had to, I've always had the need mm-hmm. to just get out of my head and get on a, it was a path. It wasn't in, in the mountains or anything, but I would take the baby stroller and run. Um, but I couldn't do that with three. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it with one, but yeah, I'm not that strong. Yeah, I'm not that strong. 
So even, and, and I think I inspired them too, because I think it was a community of other single parents and mm-hmm. they would see me doing it and I would come back tired and beat up, but mentally refreshed. So I've always done that. I think it helps. You know, um, in our speak speaker MBA group, mm-hmm. uh, we are all students who have focused our message down to one word. Yeah. And uh, my word is relationship. And anyone who knows me knows that. And here I am wanting to do a podcast because I love connecting, right? But you've this got a real, good. you've got a powerful word. I do. My word is compassion. And I didn't know it. And this is what Aaron pulled out of me. So, you know, you speak about passion and going and finding something that you're passionate about. But I can tell you right now, I was not passionate about cleaning chitty poopy i don't even know if i can say that you can say order the people my (laughs) clients live in the most disgusting there's rotten food there's we've seen dead animals we've seen a lot of feces and urine in that so what i'm saying is that was never my passion but when i uncovered why i loved what i do and it's the compassion towards my clients and they have no one and they're they're ashamed I think shame is the lowest human emotion. If you can get beyond the shame and help somebody, it's not, it's like Brene Brown says, it's not the feeling I've done something bad. It's that I am bad. And all of my clients feel that way. Yeah. So it's, um, when I uncovered that that was what was driving me, I couldn't put a word to it. But then after Aaron did that, I thought that's, that's just spot on. That's why I do what I do. You know, that gave me the chills in a big way. And probably everybody who's doing their 5K on the weekend listening to this got the chills too. And um, it's because we can all relate to being ashamed of something. Yeah, we all can. Totally. All can. And often it does change in your head from I did something I'm not proud of to I'm not I'm proud not. of myself. Yeah. Yeah. And tr- and then the whole, it goes full circle because when, when I was a single parent I and young at 19 and I had the little ones, I was judged people on the street. I would get glances and pity. And I was ashamed at being such a young mom. So it, I didn't really make the correlation until later in life that there was some moments in time where people showed me compassion and it really does carry on. And now I can give it back because I think that's what our culture is missing sometimes. People are so wrapped up in their own identity and what's going on in their own heads that they don't take the time to listen to somebody else's story. You know, how this is so true because how do you train yourself to see that someone's giving you compassion? Because a lot of times these days this word accountability or not accountability, What's it called when you just assume you deserve something, right? Oh yeah, uh, um, we all know, know the word. We all know the word. Everyone says that millennials, millennials are yeah, like yeah, entitled. Right? Entitlement, right? Entitlement. So I'm entitled to compassion. Well, you're not entitled to anything. Yeah. Um, and you were shown compassion. So how do you like train yourself to see that this was given to I you? I don't think you can see it. I think you can feel it. Mm. And it comes from the heart and I, it's hard to describe, but I think it's, it comes from the heart and it's a feeling. Yep. Yeah, it really is. And it comes from a place of, you don't have to try to do it. Mm, you know, mm. a lot of people say, how can I be compassionate? Where I would never ask anybody to go out of their way to do something like an action. It's very, it's subtle. 
It's more of a, a concept, a mind change. Yeah. It's what, you're, what are you thinking? Because that comes across in your body language and how you treat someone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, an example would be a homeless person that you see on the street. I'm not asking everybody to give them money. Just that's not being compassionate, but it's maybe just having that small, you know, say hello, recognize them for a person. Very small acts Mm -hmm. of kindness can make a huge difference. Small acts. Small acts of kindness. So now I'm really getting Mm -hmm. to understand, and I think our listeners are probably understanding, like, why and the kind of person that it takes to create a business like you have. Mm-hmm. You you see people who are clearing out porta potties and you're like, ew, who would ever do that? Well, there's a reason that people gravitate towards jobs and, and a reason that they gra- don't gravitate towards other jobs. Right. So let's talk about Clutter Trucker, which right. I love the name. Okay, that's the name of your business. It is Clutter Trucker. So you founded your business how long ago? 2008. Mm-hmm. Right during the start of the recession, which... Wow. Was a good thing. <laughs> so was hoarding even a, a term that was used? No. Well, it was before all the TV shows, so not a lot of people understood it. There, It wasn't even diagnosed as its own mental mm. disorder until 2013. So, And it still is really misunderstood. Not a lot of research, not a lot of resources out there. So we are at the beginning of helping a, an entire group of individuals that really they're hiding behind closed doors. They are. And so, yeah. how, like, give us a gauge. So is somebody on my block a hoarder? I'm sure of it. So they say it's an estimate of 2 to 5% of the population. So even in Denver, Boulder area, that's 150,000. Whoa. Yeah, it's a lot. You won't know it. But, you know, when I tell people what I do, most people know of someone who is collects a lot of stuff. Mm. Or they'll they'll comment on it. People are fascinated by it. So um, is it, so people think hoarder, right? So mm-hmm. they think they're educated from watching these TV shows, but these are probably the really extreme cases. Yeah. Is collecting a lot of stuff the main symptom? Um, it is. So it's so visible. So those are certain mm-hmm. ways that you can diagnose it. I'm just knowing that there's a lot of stuff, their inability to use their spaces for intended purposes. So these, my clients can't sleep in their beds. They can't use their stove. They don't have a kitchen table because it's piled high. Where do they sleep? Mm. Wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually uh, on piles or a couch. Many, many of them sleep um, sitting up in a recliner. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's, it gets me every time. I mean, I've done this for eight years and I've met so many people and we probably do three to five a day. Oh and when I gosh. say do, I what my company does is we go in and we help them clean up. We don't throw everything out, but we help them make their homes safe. Okay. So yeah, that's but three the goal. to five a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really prevalent and um, can be really draining and emotional. So a so, few years ago, I, I, I've hired and built it so that I don't have to do that every day. Yeah. I can't. I yeah. 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 That was my goal. Well, and I... I think that at a certain point, the energy that it takes from you, you can't rebuild after at at a point. Yeah. So I think that's really smart because you can, you know, still build on the the strengths that you have in this world, but pass them along in a different kind of way. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. 
having boundaries, not taking it all in. I can do it much easier now, separating the two. But we have trainers come in and train my team because it's really hard on them sometimes. Mm -hmm. They have to have methods to, um, it's secondary trauma, they call it in therapy. But we have a therapist come in and train the guys on how they respond to this every single day. Seeing the despair wow. and the, but you know what? I'll still say at the end of the day, they're more rewarded than they are. Yeah, depressed. I mean, there yeah. are definitely jobs where ER work for yeah. you know uh, yeah. different jobs yeah. where you're constantly on the edge of uh, catastrophe. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. So okay, uh, uh, just mm-hmm. a little bit more on like the the place that these people go. So how does someone even start down that road? Is it literally a mental illness where they they were born with it? Yeah. Do they develop it? It is absolutely a mental illness. It's a one of the most complex mental illness. Um, they're studying it and they say there's actually differences in their brain patterns mm. in the way they can make decisions or lack thereof. It's 90% of them have another coexisting type of disorder. So anxiety or depression or alcoholism. Mm. So that in combination with the strong desire to acquire stuff and they can't get rid of it. Um, it makes it really hard, but absolutely. It's probably one of the toughest mental illnesses to treat. You know, I was uh, particularly moved when you told the story, and I forget his name. You might have mm-hmm. to bring it up. If mm-hmm. you're okay telling the story about how this man, uh, his life was changed just by the simple act of you understanding him. Yeah, I think, you know, I think most people, um, that's most clients, Okay. When I come in and see yeah. them, they are, they're extremely embarrassed and they're ashamed and they normally won't open the door for anyone. We earn that trust, myself and my team, and it does, it changes their perspective. They don't feel as ashamed. I think mm-hmm. it's just the one step up that they need is to have an understanding. We see it every day, so we're not shocked. We don't grimace. We don't like a lot of people will walk into a house and not know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And this involves caseworkers, police, fire department. They see it, but they don't realize their expressions and their mm-hmm. genuine judgment come out when we can walk in open hearted yeah. with understanding it does change their life. So, so it's like people feel like they're going to be judged. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They are judged. Um, you know, neighbors judge them, family judges them. They don't understand it and it further puts them down in the hole. So yeah, part of my message is not to judge. We all do it though. And it's natural. Yeah, it is. It's called, well, the negativity bias is natural, but what you have to do is just catch yourself when you're doing it. We all do it though. So, okay. You interact with people during the worst, lowest points of their lives. Mm -hmm. And we all know people who go through this tough stuff. What advice do you have for anyone listening on how to handle those times gracefully? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry to put you on the spot. (laughs) No, I think stop and think before you speak. And really genuinely try to put yourself in their shoes. You may not know it, but maybe be curious enough before you make your assumptions about a certain person, maybe get curious before making that judgment. And then you'll probably find more similarities than differences. Yeah. Yeah. You really will. I love this um, concept of just being curious. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't require a lot. It just takes a little bit of awareness. Yeah. When you start to become aware, that's the first step. Okay, so let's okay, so you start building this business. Yeah. How many trucks do you have now? Now I have four. Oh boy. Yeah, four trucks. And and in the beginning it was just the hauling side. So we would have trucks, we have a team of people, we would remove them. And then three or four years in, I hired cleaners. So we have a like a maid service also with, so it's two-pronged. So yeah. that's kind of the way we were headed because after we uncover all that stuff and remove it, we really determine very quickly that we need to deep clean their refrigerators, their stoves. So I have a team yeah. of cleaners. I would say girls, but there are some guys who like to clean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my team consists of both women and men haulers and women and men cleaners. And um, and are you running the business still? Yes, I have hired. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> I pretty much oversee everything, make the big decisions. I'm not involved in it day to day. Great. Which is why the timing of yep. meeting Erin, she also inspired me to take my message out to larger audiences because what I've uncovered in the past eight years uh, can really help other people. If I can meet with agencies and the government, change policy, that's my mission now is to get my word out. So what would like changing policy, what would changing policy look like? Usually when these people, my clients get in trouble because they're failed home inspections and the neighbors complain, they're treated sometimes like criminals. So I would say every week we go and we meet with someone who's facing jail time for not having a clean house, which they haven't come up with a mental health aspect of that. They're Mm -hmm. really just punishing them with the only way they know how to get, try to get somebody to do something. And that's by fines I mean, a lot of my clients are upwards in five to 10 grand in fines. They'll put liens on their home and then they'll send them to jail. But what my whole mission is to get them the mental health that they need. So it's educating, educating the policymakers and the the government to understand it. Yeah. And then we can change. And you are such a good person to do that (laughs) because you can't see Jen, but I am going to put some photos up here. Um, I mean, she's a real person. This is not someone who, you can relate. Look, look at her story. I mean, she's been through the tough stuff herself. So she is, she's sort of a little package who walks in and she's got a loud voice that's strong and clear. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And you're tough. You were so nice. Because you've had to persevere. It is. And I would say that, you know, I, I went about things backwards. I mean, I had kids at a young age. I wasn't married. And then I went to school. And then I went to corporate America. But what I think is in all of that, all of that struggle and all of that challenge, if you embrace that, it, you come out stronger on the other side. You do. Yeah. I think it really does make us stronger if we can look at it like that. So, okay, your kids, are they still at home? No, we don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm an empty nester at such a young age. Yeah. You are young. I'm 45. The girls are 26 now, and my son is 19. He's in his, he'll be starting his junior year in college. Oh, my gosh. The girls are both working. Everything uh, is good. But yes, I'm at an empty nester at 45. It's awesome. 
So you've, you gave, you passed down some great skills to your kids so they could branch out and do this thing because kids that age often are not out of the house yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's hard. It's, it's much more difficult, I think, to parent. Even 26 years ago, a lot has changed. So with what you've learned in the world and now you've got kids, are you ultra paranoid of the things that you've seen? And, you know, how does that impact you as a mom? Uh, As a mom, I think I have relaxed in my worry or my guilt to know that everything that's happening with them to them is for good that I can't save them. (laughs) They're going to make good choices and they're going to make bad choices. And when they learn that it's, it's okay. At some point you have to let go. You're right. And I have let go, but you're there for them. There for them. Yeah. And you're just like, uh, your mom was there for you. Oh yeah. 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 Wow. That's, that's crazy and powerful. Oh my gosh. So how are you juggling this sort of changing career? Is it put you in a place of like deep soul searching or depression or like what is, yeah, what's your process been? Yeah, I've, I've come to be really mm, gentle with myself because I think as an entrepreneur, we're always looking for the next thing mm-hmm. and the next thing and grow it and make it big and make more money and hire more people. But I've really slowed back and just really tried to figure out what do I want to do. So yeah, I, I, I think it's the I've always wanted to be here. So I started that business knowing that I didn't want to always do it. I worked hard to build it, put systems in place, hire people that could run it so that I could go and have fun and travel. So that's a big part of it. And right now, in a way, I'm just celebrating that because I mm-hmm. I did it and that's what I wanted. And I woke up one day and I spent two weeks in Ireland, no cell phone. My business was running. And I thought, this is what I've always wanted. My business runs without me. I don't need to be there. And then when I just embraced that and sat with that for a little while, it felt good. And then and then in time, maybe after this Evoso, it'll move and branch out to something bigger. Yep, it could. And I could definitely see you writing a book, having yeah. a doing more with almost lobbying, all kinds of yeah, cool stuff. Me too. You it, can go anywhere. Yeah. It, I know. But, and I think in my own time, I've no longer want to be the record speed sprinter, do everything. I've really slowed down and I think it helps. Do you think that's just age? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know any 25 year old who's like, I just want to slow down and <laughs> and enjoy. And But I mean, they are, if they don't know what they want to do, I guess. Yeah. But, but there's this like natural sort of path through life where you're driven, driven, driven. And at some point you can't sustain it for No, no. But I, I think you really do have to surround yourself because we can get caught up in meeting with groups of people that do don't want to enjoy where they're at or the journey. True. And they're always looking to do something bigger or better. And mm-hmm. they're not typically happy. If they're not there, so they're looking to the end goal and not really embracing the journey. Wow. Okay. You just hit home on a personal note. (laughs) So, you know, and everyone listening knows I'm married to a guy who's won the Hawaii Ironman twice. Well, I can tell you that he was (laughs) second place the year before he won it. And it was the least happy he's ever been. Then he won it. He still wasn't happy. He won it again. He was still not all that happy. Yeah. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't put like... 
winning the thing you're going for doesn't necessarily make you happy. So what makes you happy? Yeah. I, oh man. What is so it? Where does many it come things. from? I know. Oh, it's internal. It's a mind shift, a mindset shift. Yeah. And it did. It just shifted that I'm just going to wake up. I wake up every day. I do the same thing every day. And it's just that it, it feels good. Everything about this life that I created is, is where I want to be. I wouldn't change a thing. But you know, and I love that. And I think you can only get there through going through the ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. And if we relate it, say we relate it back to running. A lot mm-hmm. of our listeners are runners. And most of them aren't fast. Yeah. I mean, and they celebrate that. I mean, it's not like, hey, I'm trying to win a race. I'm trying to PR. Yeah. And my PR might be mid-pack. And that's a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're saying don't have goals or don't go after stuff. It's just about appreciating the journey. Both. Yeah, absolutely both. I think you do still have to have some type of motivation and inspiration and you can't stay stagnant. But if you're not happy with where you at, it's what you just said. When you get there, you still won't be happy. That's true. So you really do have to be, I think gratitude is a huge thing. For me and for most people, yeah. if you can be thankful and wake up every day and be thankful for what you do have, it puts you on the right path. Oh, I love this. So, okay, I want to just keep bantering about all this cool stuff, but <laughs> we're coming up with our on race. our 5K. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How cool is that? So, you know, I like to end the podcast. It's called Run This World, as yeah. you know, and we, yeah. we interview, I interview visionaries and you're one of them. And you're going to make change in this world, and you already are. Uh-huh. And um, and I just think, you know, everyone listening, they're looking for a little more inspiration. Yeah. Just everybody wants that. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to be inspired. So mm-hmm. if you could give them one nugget, one special thing that would help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, my one nugget, I think it would be uh, be fearless. I love that. Be fearless. I think fear gets in the way sometimes. Sometimes you don't even recognize it. I think it can be with a race. You can put preconceived notions in there. You can be afraid, afraid you're going to be sore, afraid you can't finish the race, afraid you're not running it fast enough. I think in life, if I was afraid at 19 of what was going to happen and let that hold me back, I wouldn't have moved anywhere. So be fearless. I love it. Yeah, that's a great message. And you've done it and you're doing it. Yes. Great. Every well, that, day. That was so awesome. Okay, so check out the show notes when we're when you're done here. Um, I'm going to put Jen's website on there. She is getting heavy into this world of speaking. If you want to reach out to Jen with anything mm-hmm. down to, you know, questions about her profession or people you know who you're afraid might have a mental illness, hoarding, I'm sure she's open. Yes. And how do they sure. reach you? Um, you can reach me from my website, jenhanslick.com or even cluttertrucker.com. Okay, great. So. Are you on Facebook or yes, Instagram? Jen Hanslick okay. on Facebook. Great. And Twitter. Awesome. <laughs> Boom. We all have to have at least two social media channels. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. You are amazing. I cannot wait for our talk next week. Yeah. Again, we're going to plug that again. Get your tickets. Yes. And see us. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> Expect big things coming from Boulder next week. <laughs> that is true. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for being on yes, the show. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly loved standing around at Skirt Sports in our back office doing my first ever podcast interview there with Jen Hanslick. 
Um, she is a special person, as I'm sure you can tell by now. So if you do need to reach Jen, you can do that through her website, jenhanslick.com, or on Facebook. You may know someone who is at risk of living in the hoarding lifestyle and you want to get some feedback from her. She is open and available and happy to talk and help. And she is starting a new speaking platform in her life. So if you have any events and you need inspirational speakers, somebody who can speak to the topics of compassion and mental grit and tenacity, um, she's your person. Alrighty, well you go on and get out there and have yourself an incredible day. And you know what time it is. It's time to run this world. Have a great workout. We'll see you next time.